Hi, I'm Elise. And I'm Matt. And welcome to Pod Race, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 10, Move Along Home, teleplay by Frederick Rappaport and Lisa Rich and Jean Kerrigan Fauci, and directed by David Carson. This episode aired on March 14th, 1993. Oh, that's my sister's birthday. There you go. On this, this day in history. This week on Deep Space Nine, a visiting delegation from the Gamma Quadrant turns four crew members into pieces for a bizarre game. Well, Elise, here we are. Episode 10, Move Along Home. Probably one of the most famous and or infamous episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I just decided officially that I don't get why this episode is so hated. I mean, I understand that there are the reasons, but it just seems nitpicky to me. Like, I know, I guess people don't like it because the rules of the game are not explained or there were no consequences, but I found that to be very entertaining. Yeah, and and I think there is, like, a certain level of silliness in this episode and you know maybe like a campiness we really haven't seen yeah in a lot of star trek since like some of those those uh original series episodes in the 60s so like i can't appreciate how some folks wouldn't respond to that or wouldn't enjoy that all of that being said, I think that this episode is a masterpiece. Yeah, I really loved the campiness. I I've act- well, I've been slowly watching TOS so I feel like it does you're right it does vibe with that and I really the second time I watched this episode I liked it even more like there's just even really everyone glances at each other really well in this episode there's so many especially from Fallow master glancer in my opinion (laughs) a master glancer yes I like that no and and like I think I think everyone knows and at least, like, originally, the original kind of, like, the four members are, so Cisco, Bashir, Dax, and, and Kira, who get transported into to being the, the players in the game. Um, I think they have a good sense of tone of the episode yeah. and, like, what it is. And, like, it is kind of heightened and it is kind of that over, like, dramatic. And, like, this is, like, the second episode in a row where Alexander Sadig has been able to give, like, a really campy performance. Oh, for sure. <laughs> And there's an there's a, a an interesting uh, Iris Stephen Bear quote that comes from the Deep Space Nine logbook of her season companion on page thirty three, and Iris says you could just as easily say that Move Along Home was a third season show, that you don't make your characters seem that potentially foolish the first year, but this is Star Trek. You want to believe your audience has a certain amount of sophistication and they'll accept what you give them, which I think is interesting because it's like they're acknowledging that. The whole premise is kind of silly. The members of the crew get trapped in a board game right. and like have to go through it, right? And like in some ways, it's kind of like I think it's a season two episode of um, the Next Generation, the Royale, in which they have to the crew, the away team, I guess not the whole crew, but the away team. So like Riker, I think Worf is there, Data for sure. Um, have to act out the plot of this like old like noirish novel like with the casino and things. Oh like yeah, that, I remember right? that. So just 
just kind of like a campy kind of fun almost like tos type uh type episode which like yeah it's not digging into like the thematic themes of like past prologue or you know a man alone or even it's not a legal drama like dax was a couple weeks ago but like it's just it's just fun and like there's not a lot of things to talk about and i think it's kind of one of those pieces of media that you kind of and this is going to be a really non-academic way to describe it but like you kind of either vibe with it or you don't yeah that's like it's not that it's like necessarily like good or bad or even if it is bad i mean i don't think it is but even if like you can can critique and and put a pull it apart like i don't know i can just get on this episode's level and it's fun yeah i think part of that too is it's not just kind of like the silliness of like the alma rains and hopscotch and and all of that but like there are some like really interesting kind of stakes at during the episode maybe no not necessarily kind of at the end when you have that it's just a game (laughs) sort of realization but like We've talked before, and I think it, we talked about it a lot um, a couple weeks ago in our episode on Qless, but how the writers had a strong sense of who Quark was right away compared to some of the other episodes and Quark being easier to write for. So we definitely get a lot of that kind of classic quarking mm-hmm. in this episode. Oh, I like this that. This is also quarking. like our first um, quarking. Quarks and quarking. Um but this is probably like the first episode of like the only 10 so far that we've seen where we see that quarking, but it has a little bit more like serious stakes to it. Like we don't see Quark being some someone who moves the plot forward or is like an optician or like, you know, slightly like antagonistic or whatever. It's like he is involved in the central drama and is in the kind of complex situation and then having to navigate how his own greed put these people at risk and now he is like responsible for their well-being right for, he, he is like the player in the game he is like the prophet or the q entity or like the divinish being that is responsible for getting them to move along home and this is where even as like campy and wild as this episode is and even as as much as like david carson i think said in a 2011 interview i was reading on memory alpha that he didn't have fond feelings or fond memories about this episode, but a lot of the some of the direction I really did like, and this I and I thought it was really interesting, especially for kind of this era of Star Trek, because there's a lot of uses of either like the God's Eye View shot or also known as like the Bird's Eye shot, kind of that that overhead yeah, look. Yeah, yeah. You see it during the hopscotch. You see it a lot of times when like Cisco wakes up in the game and different things like that, and it just really drives home in the way that it has like the production design on the floor of like mimicking kind of the whole grid situation that it's like we as the POV of the camera are Quark playing the board game. Like we are literally playing god for sure and it's just i think the those kind of like grandiose kind of like ideas and like filmmaking uh, kind of like perspective on it combined with the silliness we get to hear avery brooks sing which is always a a good time for me (laughs) um it just works for me um someone else who it didn't work for though was uh ronald d moore who was a tng writer at the time ended up moving over to to deep space nine and then folks will remember from um the reboot of Battlestar galactica and then um starting to adapt outlander more more recently but 
Ronald D. Moore said in an AOL chat, which he used to do a lot back in the kind of late 90s. Um, me, t- me, t- me too, Ronald Moore. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, before he joined the DS9 writing staff, he saw this episode and wondered <laughs> if everyone had lost their minds. So we're, we're here to hear all, all kind of perspectives. I, I disagree, Ronald um d more i don't always need my star trek to mean something this was very silly and i enjoyed it very much i i can imagine him thinking that but also like just go with it ronald there are some really funny quotes in this and they probably aren't as funny out of context but like oda was trying to you know find the (laughs) the senior officers and wants to go um look on the wadi's ship and um, Primmons like, you can't do that. It's against regulation. And Odo was just like, I'm not in Starfleet. So he basically, it was kind of it, funny because all the previous times that he wanted to do stuff that was against Starfleet, um, Cisco was there basically to tell him not to. And in this case, he like didn't have Cisco to tell him not to do something. Although I feel like if Cisco was there, he would have been fine if it was other people missing he i think cisco would have let him go look on the wadi ship even though he wasn't supposed to or like he would pretend that he wasn't let, allowing him to do it but would be allowing him to do it yeah primen this is his we mentioned this i think last week on the passenger but basically they bring this character for two episodes because um Colmini is still filming a movie and unavailable that's why o'brien's not in the episode um, but yeah, this is the last we see of of, of Mr. Primmins. He's he's gone, and I think we have have our our chief back next episode. So yeah, they just needed another character for for them to talk <laughs> yeah. to, with the other folks being being in the game. I also really getting their head. Yeah, in the game. I also really like the timing at, towards the end of the episode where they had um, Kira and Cisco had agreed to help Dax out of. Uh, I, I I guess it was like a. I don't know if it looked like a cave or whatever was collapsing and um, they're everyone's bickering about what to do. And Dax is just like, if I were a superior officer, I'd court martial both of you. And I just felt the timing of that line was really funny. Um, it was the timing on it. It made me laugh. Right. Right. But also just in general, like the seriousness of everyone's reactions, the whole episode. And then for at the end it, to not matter. And they're, None of it mattered, I guess. It's just a game. It's just a game. It's just a game. Although I was I was very jealous of the Wadi when they when they open up the box that makes the whole game board appear and all the pieces are out and things like that. I'm like, oh, I I really want that. Yeah, that that was awesome. So so handy when you have a board game and you take out the boxes and it's got all the different pieces and stuff like that. I'm like Yeah. I really can't wait to live in the future. I really enjoyed Joel Brooks playing fallow um yeah he was so yeah. good and every time he looked over at quark to like or anyone he, he just like was just making eyes with everyone i felt like and it was really good i don't know maybe i'm reading into that but that's how it felt to me he just had like really amazing amazing glances as i said earlier reading up on memory alpha and this episode was actually nominated for an emmy for outstanding individual achievement in hairstyling for a series and i felt like that's probably based on the wadi's hair and it was great i liked it 
Well, I guess let's let's kind of get then into the the episode proper a bit here. Um, we'll try not to be too much of like a play by play of of the plot, dear listeners, because we assume you've you've either seen the episode before or or rewatched it. And if you if you haven't for some reason, um, it's better than its reputation. Please go back and watch it. And, and if you don't like it, well, you can tweet at us and and be mad. But we're we're completionists here at the pod race. <laughs> so the episode opens with an, a really kind of like, on some levels it's it's kind of nice, but on, on other levels I have kind of complicated feelings about it. But a a nice kind of Jake and, and Benjamin kind of parental moment, and I don't think we've had one of those in the last couple episodes. So it's always it's always nice when we have a a Jake and and Ben scene. Um, Ben realizes that Jake is now 14 and taking taking a notice um, and a romantic interest in in folks and they have a conversation about the similarities between the uh, first contact situation that Cisco's getting ready for in um, meeting the Wadi for the first time and Jake's dating life. So Elise, what did you think of, of that kind of initial scene in our in our teaser. I thought the analogy, while I don't know if I agree with it exactly, was kind of cute. I mean, I can understand a parent wanting to explain to their child that you have to respect someone that you are interested in courting. Um, but I was laughing at the um, the idea of comparing it to first contact because, you know, if you're courting someone and they're into it, there might be kissing involved. I don't think that would happen for um, a first contact. Although, maybe. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know if I agreed with it exactly, but it was kind of, it was cute. It was cutesy, and I, I was okay with that. Um, I found it interesting how um, Cisco kept pointing out that Nog is older than Jake so that he's allowed to do more things, like stay up late. And I remember being 14 and, like, feeling like I had to go to bed earlier than all of my friends or, like, had to... Like, I felt like it was a little more strict in my house with regard to that. So I kind of felt for Jake in that moment. Like, your friends are allowed to stay up later. And I think part of it is my neighborhood friends all had older sisters. So they were just allowed to do more things than I was. And I'm the oldest, so... The rules kind of got set for me. So I was, I was like very much relating to Jake um, being annoyed that my parent is telling me that, um, you know, I'm not the same age as my friends and I have to, you know, follow the rules. Yeah. And it's just like, and I don't think this scene is intended to <laughs> probably be analyzed at the level that like, I think we're discussing it. And like, like thinking about it, I think it's just supposed to be a fun little like, ah, oh, the birds and the bees, yeah, sort of, sort of like father son moment. But like, I think in like comparing it to a first contact situation, which we've seen even just as recently as a couple episodes you can just agree like when captive pursuit to just do away with them if they're inconvenient or even like looking at kind of like a rules of engagement or sort of way like i think it's intended just to you know be respectful and you know recognize boundaries and consent and 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 things like that but it also like from a certain lens and i 100 percent admit that i'm like 
thinking too deeply about this for, and the scene specifically but like dating and romantic relationships like don't necessarily i think have i mean they have rules and you need boundaries and to respect boundaries and, and consent and all of that but like it is different than i think like what what ben is really kind of talking about but i am 100 percent overthinking this <laughs> i think just because that's what we do here in the pod race yeah i agree but also his son is young and i guess he's just trying to say the basics at this point yeah I, we all we all gotta start somewhere but uh <laughs> yeah you would hope that they would have i think we should really i mean also not a parent but uh I think there's there's a lot of value, and I think in in kind of preloading a lot of these conversations when your your children are younger and talking about consent and their own body autonomy and the body autonomy of others and and everything else like that. I don't I don't think you wait till they're fifteen. No, I agree. I have um par- I have friends that are parents and they have young kids and they're already reading books about consent and body autonomy to them, and I think that's great. Also, not a parent. But um, I think it's important to teach that as soon as kids understand things. Um, I found a scene at the beginning after that when um, they're going to meet the Wadi for the first time. And Julian is like, I swear I (laughs) packed my dress uniform (laughs) and he he can't find it. (laughs) And that whole scene is so funny. And it made me remember that I guess the other like the stars, the the ships all have clothing replicators in addition to food replicators and obviously yeah. deep space nine does not have that or maybe they do and they just like thought it would be funny to um to throw this in I'm like oh i forgot to pack it that made me laugh you know what i i'm sure i'm sure that they do and i think to kind of like maybe unnecessarily over explain the fun bit <laughs> in the episode um i just don't think he had time to get himself a new one that's fair right yeah. like he thought he packed it and then we'll maybe slept in and was like oh i gotta go like it's a certain time they're went... here like that sort of situation right. and i and i think and i think too even though like we have replicators that can replicate anything i think there would be probably some kind of recreation requisition steps and i think there would be certain patterns in the replicator that would be off limits and need like a certain security clearance and that sort of thing because i don't think you'd want anyone in guest quarters that has a replicator being able to replicate a starfleet uniform that's entirely valid i also feel like in general if you hadn't made clothes it would make garrick's shop like go out of business or something well yeah and there's it's funny that you mentioned garrick because there was a a scripted scene that i don't know if it was shot and then was a deleted scene or just was in the script and then not shot where um there are a couple extra lines of dialogue where julian julian wonders if he should get garrick to to make him a new a new dress uniform and to which dak replies i don't know how appropriate it would be for a cardassian to make a starfleet uniform or something are like you that, serious so. right yeah, that's funny yeah. i like that yeah i agree with dax though on that one All right, so the the Wadi, the Wadi show up, and the Vulcans they met in the Gamma Quadrant that invited them to Deep Space Nine, 
told them about Space Vegas before. <laughs> so they just want to go. Games, games, and they games. They just want to go to Las <laughs> Venus and play and play games. So it's uh, our our rules and regulations of first contact are are a little bit already um, <laughs> out the window. <laughs> out the window. Yeah, there we go. So they're playing game. They're playing dabble for hours. They keep winning. Um, Cisco's like, this is as far as duty takes me. It's been six or seven hours. Goes to bed. And, well, Quark doesn't like that he's losing his shirt. So Quark starts to rig the Dabo game. And then the the game with the Wadi that Quark plays that we've referenced before is used by Fallow and the rest of the Wadi, I think, a little bit to uh, teach Quark a lesson about, about fairness. Yeah. And, you know, honest games and everything else like that. Yeah, I think um, this whole thing is basically Quark's fault. <laughs> but I, the scene with Cisco just miserably sitting there babysitting the Wadi while they play Dabo, it is really funny. He's completely uninterested. Do you think Cisco has fun? Like so far, I feel like <laughs> I'm not saying that games are the only way to have fun, but I feel like we haven't seen him have fun yet. No, not really. We've like he's been overall like a a pretty kind of serious dude, and I think he's been in like some pretty like serious situations and gone through some like serious shit. Um, but we do know that he likes baseball, right? So it's not that he's totally like anti games. He, I think he just finds. What does he say to Jake? He finds Dabo childish or like childish, childish games. games or like... I think he said yes. Maybe he's just not into gambling. Yeah, which, which is, is like totally fair. fair I'm not super interested in it either. Well, I think if you're you're comfortable, then Elise, let's let's pivot to the actual kind of game itself and kind of the. I think some of the more like silliness of the episode happens within the the nature of the game itself and we have like the four players the four pieces are our senior staff so we have cisco kira dax and bashir Mm -hmm. and while they are all i think silly and heightened and, and like campy performances and like versions of of their characters in this episode i think it's an interesting way to kind of dive into the almost like the psyche of each four of the characters yeah. and how they respond to that situation. Because Bashir earlier kind of speculates that it's kind of like a behavioral test, like a, a ro- like a rat in a maze right. or something, mm-hmm. you know, despite all of my rage. Yes, exactly. The Moraine count to four. Sent to Moraine. Um... I feel like we need three more. I think we need to make an entire up to the flame album of you just a whole smashing pumpkins yes. Alberine album. Um, sorry, <laughs> listeners. Full disclosure: there's not a lot to talk about in this episode, other than you either think it's great or it's we're bad. We're gonna call it. We're so... gonna call it Alamarine and the Infinite Silliness. Ooh, ding, 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 ding! We have a we have a winner. Yeah. I was obsessed with that double album when it came out for what it's worth. Yeah. But it's too bad that What's His Nuts has turned out to be a chud. Yeah. Billy Corgan. Yeah. I mean, I kind of probably could. 
I could probably have seen that coming. <laughs> anyway. Fair, fair enough. All right. So we have like how the characters all react. And so Bashir's talking about it being like a behavioral test, like like a rodent in maze, maze, maze the, like a rodent in a maze. And like Kira is really interesting in contrast to like our three Starfleet characters in that moment. Cause she's like, I'm an administrator. You're the explorers. You're all geeked up about this. And she doesn't, she literally say, I did not sign yeah, up. Yeah. She's this. extremely angry. She said, I did not sign up for this. And she just is like, <laughs> basically like, fuck this shit is the attitude that I get from Kira. Yeah. And, like, I think, too, you can really see in what's what's kind of, I think, one of my favorite things about the four of them, I mean, aside from Kira, because I always love Kira, um, <laughs> more often than not. But, like, you really do see the dynamic that Dax and, and Cisco have together. Yeah. At, in terms of, like, the, you know, their teamwork and, like, their shared history with, like, mm-hmm. the coaching stuff from, like, Curzons and, like, their relationship there. And it was just, like, felt really organic to me. And some of the other times that we've had moments like this through the through the season it's been or felt a little bit more forced and this just kind of felt natural and like Bashir's just excited to be there and it's like he's like screaming <laughs> to try and wake himself up right it's like if, he, if there was a cool I, a cool bath of water he'd jump into it or something like the one thing i know, like he's thinks he's an inception yeah. or, 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 i don't know <laughs> the one thing i really liked about um about this is that everyone is kind of acting as themselves so you know Bashir's trying to like wake himself up and after he he was a little panicky but I can see that he would I feel like he's happy to be included like he doesn't have to have FOMO later but um (laughs) I like that Dax automatically is trying to figure it out like she's playing paying close attention to detail for example when they're doing um when Bashir kind of realizes that he has to mimic what that little girl's doing by saying the rhyme or by um hopping along um he's like i did it I, nothing happened and dax is like no you didn't say the rhyme too like she's really paying attention to all the specific things that you that are going around going on around them which felt like very sciencey to me and cisco is just being a really good leader, listening to everyone's thoughts on how to get out of the situation. Like, he seems like he's really taking everyone's opinion into account, which, you know, you would want in a good leader. Yeah, he, he really would. And, like, even the fact that, you know, he goes against the advice of don't let sentimentality get in the way of, of command decisions. Mm-hmm. And and then even, like, Kira's, like, ready to jump and follow the order to leave them, and then turns around, and it's just, like, it's a it's a nice moment, and even though Quark loses the game, and theoretically all of the the players get eliminated, it's just a game, and everybody's okay. Yeah, I really did like that scene, um, where Dax had hurt her leg, and um, it's, like, when Cisco decided to stay and help her, I felt like she really turned into Curzon almost in that moment where she was like reminding Cisco of things that Curzon had told him in the past. Um, like, and she flat out says, if it was opposite, I would leave you, you know? And I, 
got emotional when she said, you know, seven lifetimes is enough, implying Cisco and Kira have more to live for because they're only they only get one life and Dax gets many. Yeah. And like there's another interesting quote here that was in the official Star Trek Deep Space Nine magazine, I believe issue eight, from one of the writers, uh, Frederick Rappaport. And he's, and Frederick says, the audience never really understood the game, and that was the idea. All the audience needed to know was that our crew, our guys, our crew, were in jeopardy. They needed to know as much as the characters needed to know. How the hell do we get out of here? In the end, Rappaport was disappointed that much of the threat presented in, in his original script was removed by the reveal at the end. The ending, where we learn it was just a game undercut everything that went down for the previous acts. It all seems pointless if there wasn't any jeopardy at all. I've heard for some fans who felt cheated that the characters were never in any kind of threat. I agree with those fans. However, Rappaport was pleased with the episode up to the final moments, commenting, on the other hand, I know others who were satisfied with it too. Editor's note, that's me. <laughs> but up to that point at the end, and I was spellbound as any viewer. I was hooked. The show is imaginative and well-realized, and it has gotten a great deal of attention. Well, that's true. Definitely has a great deal of attention, like, in terms of the discourse and the fandom. But, like, if you look at it a bit, like, it's kind of a Quark learns a lesson episode. Yeah, totally. The stakes in the episode are really for Quark. Yeah, he has and to make... towards mm-hmm. kind of... He has to make the decision. Go ahead, sorry. No, he has to make the decision on how to treat the characters because he doesn't know that it's not real. And as soon you can see in his face, as soon as he realizes that the players, the four players, are the four missing um, senior officers on Deep Space Nine, he's he starts to panic a little bit. And it really shows a different side of him because... In that moment, he's not thinking about the money. He's thinking about, okay, these are humans, but these are people that I work, you know, I work adjacent to, I guess. You know, he has his bar on the station, so they're also his customers. Like, he just, he realizes that it's more important than about the money, the gems, the latinum. I, if nothing else, I'm sure he wants Dax to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) um i just wanted to comment on the the quote that you read i i completely understand feeling that you were cheated by this episode because in the end nothing there were no stakes and it didn't matter but i can't think of a different way to have ended it because like julian would have died and then dax would have maybe died like i don't i don't understand like another way that they could have had the ending i don't know yeah Without yeah. losing two major characters <laughs> of your main cast, yeah. of your of your your uh, cast, like yeah. within the first. I mean, I guess if someone was leaving the show or something, but yeah, that would have been worse. I think. Yeah, I I I agree, and I and like I do think that the episode for me still has has those stakes because I think it's it's about Quark. Like it's kind of. Well, not kind of a South Quark episode because there's a lot of Quark stuff, but the the stakes aren't the stakes don't end up being the peril that the players are in. It's the stakes for Quark and being invested in the game and like realizing that, or maybe not realizing completely, but confronting that the way he lives his life 
can have consequences and does have consequences and you can't just go through life um running dishonest games yeah right for sure and i think it's i think it's really interesting too in that that who is there supporting quark as he learns this lesson is it's odo it's odo he's getting to blow on the dice and it's odo who's helping quark face these challenges and it's kind of cute it is cute but i'm laughing like odo's so serious i the fact that he entertained blowing on the dice is hysterical to me (laughs) like i just feel like he would be the type of person to be like no i'm not doing that like (laughs) like get out of here with the dice (laughs) <laughs> I like I really enjoyed the Odo moment when he went to go on the Wadi's ship and then when he when he finally got through the door he was back at Quark's like it yeah. was they had some sort of magical thing where he couldn't go onto the Wadi ship even though he tried and then he gets to Quark's and Fallow gives him that glance and I'm like felt like there was some nice tension in there I liked it all about the glances all the glances <laughs> all about the glances. i think it was about really funny no treble oh yes i think it was funny at the end quark thought he won because all the players were a lot like alive yeah. and and fellows like yeah. yeah no they don't you remember they died during the game <laughs> he thought he was he thought he was gonna get the gem still <laughs> it was funny uh, and there's that good bit too where quark's like just overwhelmed by everything and he's pleading not to choose which um which player between cisco dax and and um kira mm-hmm. he has to sacrifice this is after julian's already been been attacked by the flashing lights yes. and he's disappeared and he and quark just begs and begs and wallow's like okay you don't have to choose <laughs> He's like, we'll randomize it. Like, oh, <laughs> For a man. second, Quark was, was so like, oh, I'm it. getting away with this begging. And then it was like, nope, we're just going to pick someone for you. <laughs> I like that, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's great. I feel like Quark was cry- was like crying under the table, right? He was like, yeah, really, he was, he was really, he was, like, he was getting yeah. really emotional. You and me both, Quark. I wonder you if he would have both. been more or less emotional if Oda was one of the people missing. Yeah, just I just a question. food would for he thought. Be like, this is my chance to get rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Hmm. Well, oh, um, there was another I, thing that oh, I found funny. I was. Um, this is earlier when the second. I think this was the third shap when uh, I like that each round was like a shap. So the first, the second shap was the hopscotch. The third shap was um, that party, and then the fourth shap got skipped, and then the fifth shap was uh, maybe the fifth or sixth shap was the cave thing. I don't remember, but anyway, so they're at that party, and <laughs> Julian is like thirsty i guess so he goes to have the champagne and and cisco's like don't do it they could be poisoning us and then the the champagne ends up being the antidote to the poison <laughs> and i just like that julian's <laughs> what other people might perceive as julian's mistake in the beginning of that shap was and ended up being like what they needed to do like completely a guess by accident so the share was it kind of fit with his character that he was lucky in that moment. Like, 
in the sense that it just made me think of like when he first gets to Deep Space Nine and the whole bit where he offends Kira about his frontier medicine idea and just that type of person just getting lucky because of, you know, of who they are. Just just being a just being a man and getting their way. So of course his accidental uh idea is what helps them in that moment. I thought that I don't know, maybe that connection is not really there, but in my mind it just felt fitting. Did you have anything else to say about the episode? Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I think I think we covered it. I think the big things were I liked the my big takeaways are it's fun. Um and I liked the some of the, the bird's eye slash god's eye views for the idea of like the meta thing of the play the, the whole board game thing. Yeah. And uh we love when Quark learns a lesson and my most important takeaway is as follows. It's, it's gonna be a bit long, so like bear with me everyone. <laughs> Alright? I let me know when you're ready. I'm Liz. bearing. Alright. Listeners, I hope you're ready for this as well. This is my biggest takeaway from the episode. <clears throat> Just gotta clear my throat and get ready. Alamorane, count to four. Alamorane, then three more. Alamorane, you can see. Alamorane, you'll come with me! I, like, danced around while you did that, just for a reference. Would you like to do it for prosperity as well? Um, to come with me no one on the planet wants to hear me sing, so no, I will not do that. I mean, fair enough. I don't think anyone on the planet wanted to hear me I sing. Mean, I mean, I did. I think I specifically advice. asked you to, so that's not... Well, that's how the sausage gets made, folks. <laughs> You're welcome to Behind the Scenes on the Pod Race. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so in conclusion, move along home. It's fun. It's misunderstood. We love a campy masterpiece, don't we, folks? We do. More and more people are saying this. <laughs> ah. Which brings us to one of our regular scheduled segments on the episode, the Altair Water Thirst Quencher section, in which... Elise and I discuss how we are thirsty bitches, so we need a long drink of Altair water. So, Elise, who are we thirsting for this week on Season 1, Episode 10, Move Along Home? Yes, I was actually not thirsting for anyone this week. This didn't feel... Originally, I felt this way. This wasn't a thirsty episode, but over the course of discussing this episode with you, I think I'm thirsting for Fallow's glances. I just felt like the way he was looking at Odo and sometimes Quirk was just really, I don't know. I wouldn't mind someone looking at me that way. Yeah, there's like a, like a, a like a kind of playful knowingness and, and kind of like interesting. Yeah, that's exactly. On there a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly how I would describe it. I couldn't come up with the words yeah. and you did a great job. So yeah, that's yeah. my answer. You? I mean, in in the notes, I have a screen cap from Trek Core of Julian trying to wake himself up and like yawning, and his his hands are up and things like that. And it's and it's 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 very silly, but like in certain circumstances, it could be not silly out of context. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I like your fellow one better, so I will just steal that. Fair. <laughs> you heard it here first. He liked my idea better. Now I'm going to go wallow in self <laughs> One. One wallow. Two. Two wallows. 
<laughs> All right, Elise. Now, as we kind of head towards our our final wrap up for the episode, what's your nominee for the most Star Trek thing this week? I actually, even though people were angry about it, I guess I thought that the game having no consequences was very Star Trek. Like they often just don't explain things, and I felt like this fell under that umbrella of things not being explained and the game and us not really knowing the rules like that wrapped up all together it just felt very star trek to me yeah i think my most star trek thing kind of in in addition to that was goes back to kind of the the prologue um with jake and uh and cisco which obviously like it functions in the story to set up jake this conversation that jake and ben are gonna have the next morning and then ben's trapped in the game right so like that that's it's function structurally but also the whole idea of like this kind of assumed heteronormativity like to the whole kind of like conversation about like men and women men are from mars women are from venus birds and the bees kind of conversation and kind of the way that that's coded feels very 90 star trek yeah. where like we don't want to acknowledge that queer people exist the whole birds and the bees thing so. actually made me the earlier today i was on um i agree with you and earlier today i was on um instagram and someone had posted a question to their followers do you think men and women can be friends and besides the fact that that almost immediately made me unfollow this person because i was like fuck off it just the whole idea that relationships are a certain thing and have to fit into and you were saying this earlier have to fit into certain norms and rules like that doesn't exist and i feel like that is something that Cisco was not saying to Jake, obviously. I don't know. It just feels, like, related. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, I think we did it. Alan Moraine's all around. Until next time, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Chula! Sorry. Um... You can find me on... It's actually a Shoots and Ladders reference, hey? Yeah. The idea of, like, the Chulas. Oh, like... It's being short for, like, Shoots and Ladders, because, like, the whole game's, like, three-dimensional. Like, you have three-dimensional tests in Star Trek, and it's, like, three-dimensional, like, snakes, like, Shoots and Ladders. Oh, yeah. I see that. I used to love Shoots and Ladders. I don't remember the last time I played, but I did enjoy that game. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi. E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at PodRates, P-O-D-W-R-A-I-T-H-S. And if you'd like to email us, you can find us at PodRates at gmail.com. Great. And you can find me on Twitter as well at at Mattyhugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can also catch me talking about Mad Men on my Mad Men podcast, Still Great Bob, and we are just starting season four. So excited to... uh, Excited to get into that. The best season. As always, please. Sorry. I need to. I think so too. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see if it is, in fact, still great, Bob. Please remember to rate and review the pod race on the podcasting system of your choice. Thank you to DJ Empirical for our very groovy theme song. And as always, we will see you next time. Computer and program. Bye.